Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a warm, cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact, their inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Diana Chapman. Diana has been a trusted advisor to over 700 organizational leaders and many of their teams, clients from Genentech to Yahoo, value her clarity, compassion, ferocity, and playfulness. A well-respected facilitator for the Young Presidents Organization, Diana works with forums and chapters worldwide. She invites leaders to the edge while igniting the courage to leap into the unknown, the space where a bigger game of life awaits. Diana's dedication to the personal and global expansion of consciousness led her to the creation of the Conscious Leadership Group. She and her co-founder are spearheading a movement to propagate new models of leadership based on personal and collective awareness and empowerment. Their new book, The 15 Commitments of of Conscious Leadership, was released in January. When Diana is not working with her clients, you'll likely find her gardening at her suburban farm in the Santa Cruz Mountains of California. She lives there with her husband of over 25 years and their two children. So welcome to the podcast, Diana. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, Thank you. Happy to be with you. So what is it that drew you to this work of conscious leadership? And can you tell us a little bit about that and what that means for you? Yeah. um, Let's see. It was about 20 years ago. I had a brother-in-law who was a top executive in the United States and CEO of a large corporation. And he said, hey, Diana, I really like personal development and coaching. And I've tried, I think, the world's finest coaches. And there's one couple in particular that I found particularly talented, Gay and Kathleen Hendricks. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm going to gift you $5,000 and you can take that money and do whatever you like, but I'm going to recommend that you fly out to California and go take a training with them. So I was intrigued. So I took that $5,000 and my husband and I flew out. We took a five-day course that forever changed our lives. And I thought to myself, why is it that I'm just now getting this information (laughs) at 35 years old? Um, And so I started to learn everything I could about how to facilitate this work and create my own business so that I could share this content with others. Mm, that's great. Uh, Kathleen Katie has been a guest on the podcast. So I, I she, their work is such powerful, deep work. How, how have you expanded on that or, or use that as a platform? Or do you do you continue with the principles that they taught you? Yeah, I'm very aligned with their principles. I think that they created um, some brilliant content. And what I've done is figured out a way to make that content really accessible to the business world. 
so that it doesn't, for them, feel too woo-woo or too outside of the box for their comfort zones. And so just relanguaged some things and created some different kinds of structures so that um, they can use it and be more effective as leaders and team members. Mm -hmm. Is the book that you just published, is it kind of summarize those principles? Is it exactly exactly. Okay. Yes. The 15 commitments of conscious leadership is all about um, this, this concept of in any given moment, either we're living in trust or we're living in fear. And we wanted to map that territory. How do you know whether you're a trust or fear? And so these commitments are all designed to articulate those differences and let people know how to shift if they're in fear up to a place of trust. Can you talk about a couple of those just to illustrate that that for those listening? Yeah, absolutely. So one of our commitments is uh, the commitment to see that the opposite of your story is at least as true. <laughs> and we got this one from Byron Katie. Um, but one of the things that we see in businesses is that a lot of meetings go on and on because people are defending their beliefs that they think they're right about. And so um, when you get really caught up in wanting to defend your right, you're in fear. And so we help people come up into trust by recognizing that they're, they might not be right. And actually the opposite could be at least as true. And so if they let go of being right, they'll find a preference that they might have. And that preference is far more likely to be collaborative than holding on to a righteous belief. That's such an interesting take on Byron Katie's work, and I, I, uh, I mean, I've studied her, her work and her practice around uh, questioning is something really true, and it's a it's a great application of that because you're right in meetings that I've been in where people kind of go to opposite poles, and maybe our, our current election is maybe a good example of that too in the larger public forum, but uh, people can get quite entrenched in their perspective. Yeah. And, and what is true is it is typically opposite poles. It's a good point you make. I mean, and we need those opposite poles and we need them to be able to see the value of the other side. And so um, so that's one of the things that we're excited about is creating win for alls. That's another one of our commitments, because from above the line, there's got to be a way that this side of the polarity can get its needs met and the other side gets its needs met. But it requires a lot of trust instead of fear. So. Um, the companies that you've worked with, I mean, Genentech, Yahoo, these are really large and widespread companies. How, how do you think that um, your principles of conscious leadership allow you to have impact with those kinds of clients? I mean, they're in large corporate entities and um, it's not, it doesn't always feel like uh, having been in one of those structures myself, it doesn't always feel like you're able to have the impact that you want to have. How do you, how do you think that your your work in conscious leadership is allowing people to have impact within those organizations? Well, I think that we we provide models that are really simple. And I think that's one of the keys. The models have to be something that people can have a shared language around. And so we teach them this very simple model, either you're above line or you're below line. Mm -hmm. And either if you're above line, you're in trust. And if you're below line, you're in fear. And we, we help them learn how to map that territory so they can be able to identify where am I and where are you and where are we? And that in and of itself is 
um, something that they welcome. They recognize the cost when they are below line and that they can start to create they can have shared practices that they can use with one another that are really simple, very applicable, don't seem odd or weird to apply in a business setting and give them those skills so that they can then come back into a place of trust. Well, this this topic of um, impact that this podcast is about is uh, about making a positive contribution and in some way making a difference in the world. How do you think that that approach uh, or do you feel that that approach is shifting things in the larger world? Do you think it makes a difference? I do. I think it makes a big difference. So I, I made a choice um, that I wanted to do everything I could to create a sustainable world. In, in my opinion, there are a lot of concerns that I have about our long-term sustainability as a species. And I wanted to go impact those I felt had the most power to change the patterns that we collectively are caught up in. And so I decided that business leaders likely have the most influence on our ability to change practices that aren't sustainable, mm-hmm. um, especially on a global level. And so that's why I particularly went to go work with this population of people. And I am already seeing a significant difference. Um, I'm seeing that uh, the way they lead are creating new new experiences for people that um, where people feel that they are more engaged now at work, they have their health back because they're not so stressed. Um, so they're personally behaving in ways that are more sustainable or experiencing more sustainability. And then also these leaders are starting to think more thoughtfully about how do, how is what we're doing impacting the whole? Because if it's not a win for all, then it's not a win for us. Hmm. So that's one of the things that I'm deeply passionate about is my belief is, is that if we get leaders, especially those who influence policy and politics and the environment the most, um, if those leaders are practicing living and leading above the line, honoring these 15 commitments, it'll be easy to create a sustainable world. I agree with you. I think business is in a very u- unique position to be able to make a substantial difference in sustainability and in other areas in terms of how things operate. It's not just an issue for government or an issue for um, for individuals. Business leaders are really in a great uh, – have a really great opportunity to really shift things and, and be able to shift the way things are done. Um, and I like that expression that you use of win for all. So if it's not a win for all, it's so. Uh, what was the what was the phrase that you used? It yeah, was, if it's not a win for all, it's not a win for me. Mm-hmm. It's not a win for us. Right. So, yeah, because you know, if I'm making decisions and creating a product that pollutes and affects another population in a negative way, that's that's ultimately not a win for all of us. Right. Yeah, I agree. Is, is the way that you work, the way that you're choosing to approach your business is, do you feel it's a reflection of you and your values? I've been asking this question because my belief is that impact is consciously or unconsciously, um, 
the foundation of it is what you value, what you feel is important. So is there a way that you brought your beliefs and values into your business from marketing to working with your team to working with your clients? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that that um, my co-founder, Jim Dethmer, and I, um, we've been struggling with is, you know, there's an option we have, which is we could have investors come in and um, get involved with us and create a bigger organization that might have more impact, but that we realized then that we could get caught up in focusing on profit um, to those investors over staying aligned with our values. Mm-hmm. And so we've made a choice to not to to perhaps go slower in our impact, but stay aligned with our deep values of um, making sure that the choices that we made for how we did our business came from our own personal sustainability, came from um, staying in integrity with our core beliefs versus um, putting profits first. So that was that was one of the first things that came up. Um, I think another thing that deeply uh, influences how I'm personally working these days is recognizing that I started to become that which I was trying to heal in the world in that I started to lose my own sustainability by working too much. Mm. And so I have recently woken up to that fact. And, and part of it is just, I just love my work. And it's actually one of the things I see with many of my clients is they actually really love their work, mm-hmm. but and it can become an addiction. And such that they lose balance in other areas of their lives. And so it takes a lot of presence and awareness to stay aware of that and not not get too caught up in um, skipping over other needs that um, allow us to be you know, the most optimal in our creativity in the world. And so um, I have I've just decided to take off a month in December and do different things that are that are, keeping with my core value of my own sustainability in the midst of wanting to make a lot of impact. That's great. I, yeah, this is another thing I've been asking about because those of us that are involved in something that we're so deeply engaged with, it's very easy to get very caught up in that. And especially when opportunities arise, it's, it's sometimes hard to say no or, or to go slower. So self-care is a really crucial aspect of being able to have impact because you're not going to be able to sustain that if you're, if you're not looking after yourself. And that month off in December is a great example of that. Is, are there other things that you do on an ongoing basis that help you kind of maintain that that harmony, that balance um, between work and other things or to, to help keep your energy level going? Yeah, I, I'm really a big fan of hanging out in nature. <laughs> so uh, before this call, I was down, I, I have a very extensive garden and I was down taking care of the chickens and harvesting some of the produce. And there's just something really balancing about um, being surrounded with lots of trees and um, my meditation practice is another place I come back into my own center um, and lots and lots of walking. I love just the walking and particularly walking in nature. Those are some of my own personal practices for keeping myself in balance. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so many people mention that. It's certainly true for me too, this connection with nature, whether it's in a more cultivated setting like a garden or just being in the presence of of something 
wild or something growing. Um, so it has a really yeah. restorative I, effect. It does. And I actually think it's a lot of it has to do with the pace of nature. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. I think, um, we, we can get so separate from the organic pace of nature. And I think that's one of the things that creates a lot of stress for humans. So there's just something when I get back in with really sit and be with nature and come back into its pace, I find that to be one of the most rejuvenating things. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it's clear that, that you find it it's important for you to have impact with your business to, to be making a positive contribution. Is that something that's always been the case for you and your work, or is that something that has evolved over time? How, how was it before you, you connected with uh, Gay and Katie Hendricks? Was, it, was that part of your evolution, or was that kind of a dramatic switch for you? I think it was. I mean, I think, I think probably some part of my personality likes to make impact, but it wasn't until I found that work and I had an experience that was so um, valuable that it got me, you know, ignited. And, uh, I gotta, I gotta share this. I've got to spread this around. Um, and so the impact started very much just to a general population. And then the impact, which was a huge surprise to me to go into the business world. Um, you know, it's actually quite challenging to take this work into the business world more so than in other populations. So, it was both that I somehow found a way in and I was able to be successful there and that I knew that those were the ones who had a lot of influence themselves to help my greater purpose of sustainability. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I also found that impact started to become an addiction for me and that it's, I started to lose myself in wanting to make impact. And that's, that's been something that I'm waking up from here and realizing that um, my ego got the best of me around wanting to make impact as if it has to happen and it must be me. And, um, and so I've, I'm finding my balance again with how much I do want to make impact and letting go of making it um, mean something that I do or don't make impact. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but Mm -hmm. It's been an interesting journey for me here of realizing that impact in and of itself can be addicting. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely true. And, it, and there's a way in which um, I think there's kind of a fine line of wanting to do your part, wanting to make a contribution and that being part of your life's greater purpose and having some kind of ego engagement because we all have egos. So, you know, where's where's the line there between doing something because it's an ego fulfillment thing versus a larger mission fulfillment. Does that, does that resonate with you at all? Exactly. Exactly. I started to think like, you know, it's, I have to do this instead of, I actually don't have to do this. The world is fine. It's going to be fine whether I do anything. (laughs) And, and so to come back to, um, I want to do it. And, and, and so because I'm, I dropped the egoic part of it. I am slowing, you know, that's part of the catalyst to be able to slow down and to bring myself back to my own balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, something I've been talking with a number of clients with recently is this whole idea about a scarcity versus an abundance mindset. And uh, just in brief for those listening, the, the scarcity mindset is just the assumption that there's this limited 
pie available and that if someone has a piece of that, that means there's less for everyone else versus an abundance mindset where there's plenty of work or whatever resource for everyone. And it's, it, it really, there's a growth aspect to that. Is, is that something that you give thought to and, and how do you view your work and, and the impact you have in that context? Yeah, it's actually one of our 15 commitments yeah. is I, I commit to a belief in um, having enough, enough of everything, time, space, love, attention, approval. So my experience is, is that the moment I or anybody else has a belief of scarcity, we get back into fear and there go there we go running around unsustainably. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan. And it's something I'm constantly practicing and paying attention to over and over again. And I think the thing I see in the in the business world uh, that's that's the biggest scarcity is around scarcity of time, mm-hmm. and how much a scarcity of time creates so much drama. <laughs> yeah, so much suffering for people. Uh, so that's one of the things that we put a lot of attention on is helping people recognize that you have enough of everything, and that they, the only way you can actually experience that is you have to be able to just be in this now moment and not a moment out ahead because the moment you get ahead scarcity kicks in (laughs) right right well and so much of the literature that's been written and the books that have been written on time time management quote unquote is is around scarcity and making use of a limited resource whereas uh, i think some of the most effective um practitioners around time are those who look at it in a much more fluid way. And there's been so much work done around, and and you probably experienced this too, most people have of when time seems to pass quickly versus time passing slowly. It's, It's all about the relationship with that kind of experience of flow and connection with what you're doing rather than a finite equal increments of something that gets used up and that you have to kind of milk. Absolutely. That's been my experience. Yeah. Is, is um, the, the impact that you want to have that feels really valuable to you, is that something that you actively talk with your clients about when you're, you're talking with a, a prospect or in your marketing? Is that something that you really bring to the forefront or is it more something that's kind of operating in the background for you? Well, um, it's a great question. So what I'm telling them is that the impact I want for them is to have engaged employees, to have less stress at work for people to be more energized, more connected, more creative. So I'm focusing on that as a big impact. Mm-hmm. And I and that is a really important impact because it breaks my heart to think when I see the Gallup polls that 70% of US employees are disengaged. That's just right. to me that's just it's a tragedy. Yeah. So that is an impact I definitely want to go after. And so I focus on that. I'm clear about that. They all know right away that that's what we're up to and they all want that. And then behind the scenes, my bigger impact is, and if everybody were doing that, we'd create a more sustainable world. <laughs> so I don't have, I don't focus, I don't speak most directly to that um, up front, but that's, that's my core, core impact behind, ever, behind it all. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, it's a, it's a great thing to address. And thank you for talking about that and the way that you approach your business, because often people are faced with, well, I know that this is going to be valuable for people, but until you can kind of move through this other stuff that is so much more immediate and upfront and find a place where you can connect with people, it's difficult to move beyond that into the deeper issues. And I know that's true for a lot of people that work with uh, corporate clients, that these issues of, of retention and stress and the immediacy of that is, is often what's front of mind. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta speak to them about what their own concerns are and what, what's exactly the challenges that they're dealing with and let them know how you can help them resolve those. Mm -hmm. I was talking with someone at Google and um, she expressed a similar kind of idea that it's, it's really about um, addressing things up front that are, are really in someone's immediate awareness. And, and the, there's a feeling of it interfering with their ability to, to do well, but the larger issue is, is, consciousness and and <laughs> therefore sustainability is is all connected with that exactly yeah yeah so we even are you know we call ourselves the conscious leadership group and we're careful to not emphasize the the conscious too much because otherwise people think we're just here to help them get more conscious which most of them don't think is a real payoff yet mm -hmm. um Although that is changing, the the world is starting to have a more interest in that as we have science backing up a lot of what we've known for a long time. But but it is a um, you know it's a it's a game to figure out how to how to speak a language that really feels uh, fulfills a need for those you want to impact. Yeah, I've I've been surprised by how much of a headway meditation, for example, has made in the corporate community because it used to be this, you know, other another one of those weird out there things that you know people do in on mountaintops and in caves, and um, at, at least that's perception by some people. But it's become much more part of uh, what. I mean, tech companies, for example, which are are very logic based in many ways in the in the products and processes that they're involved with, and yet meditation has made some real headway there. Yeah, are you talking about the app Headspace? Um, I wasn't, but yeah, talk oh, a bit about that. There's another one called Headway. Cool, I didn't know about that one. Um, Headspace is the one that we've been recommending. I don't, I didn't know about Headway. I'll go find out about it. Um, but it's it's amazing how many of our clients are using it, and mm. it's our we have uh, some colleagues who've just come out with a new book called Start Here, and I think it's one of the best books out there that talks about the science of meditation and its value in the business world. And my belief is that within the next ten years, it will seem archaic for teams not to be meditating together. Mm -hmm. um, so. But in, to your point, you know, 10 years ago, everybody would have rolled their eyes inviting you, you know, saying, we want to invite you guys to meditate. Now, right. now I can convince almost anybody to meditate <laughs> and they all say we're different for it. They recognize it. They say that there's, uh, you know, work is different when they're all meditating. So it's, it's actually one of the requirements if you work with our company is you all have to meditate. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a great thing. 
Um, yeah, and just to clarify that the headway is not an app as far as I'm aware. I was just using that word as in the context of what I was saying. But is Headspace an app that you can yeah. use? To? Okay. It's an app and it's really well done, I think. It's very clean. I don't even think they call it meditation. It's, it's just a very, I think they call it mind, you know, some kind of mind exercising or something like that. <laughs> but it's just a very friendly app to the mainstream world. And I think it's fantastically done. I, and I think mm. they give you a free couple of weeks to try it. And then, then there's a small fee for the, for the app. Ah, oh, that's great. Wonderful. Well, are there are there any obstacles or barriers that you've run into in having the impact that you want to have? And I always think it's helpful for people to hear, you know, I mean, we're having this conversation and you're talking about how committed you are to these things and, and things of, it's easy to kind of talk about when things have gone well, but we all have obstacles, we all have issues that pop up and it's it's not about that. It's true for all of us, but rather, how do we deal with it? So hearing specific examples from companies like yours and, and from you uh, about an obstacle or an issue and how you dealt with it is is always really valuable. So would you be willing to talk a bit about something that's cropped up for you? Oh, sure. Um, I remember that... Um, my co-founder and I, we took out a loan for half a million dollars to start our business. And we had all these very optimistic ideas. We launched a website, a book, a, this consulting firm. We had our team. And we thought, wow, this is really going to take off and the money's going to come pouring back in. And um, I think optimism was one of the big things that was in the way <laughs> of of us facing that it is a uh, patient process to build one's company up and that um, it's it's always a little more challenging than you might think and takes more work and takes more time. And so I keep learning that lesson over and over again. And, um, and so now when I tell people our results, they say, wow, that's fantastic. That's amazing. You've been able to do what you've done in that period of time. But I always think, well, it, it, it should have happened twice as fast. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's now we, are, we have a business model that's actually financially providing and it's working well and we're getting more and more people on our team. And so it's um, – but I, I think those – especially those first couple of years of getting up off the ground, um, it's – I was naive. And so my naiveness and optimism was in the way. And, and that's so much a characteristic of most entrepreneurs is our optimism. <laughs> so it's a tough Thank one. God. Otherwise, I think I probably would never have even jumped in. I would have gone like, wow, that's a lot of work. Well, this is it. Like, it, what is it that, that leads people to even attempt it? And uh, I, I think you make a really great point about patience and the time it requires. I mean, there's all these wonderful stories of businesses starting quickly. And I mean, my first company actually took off very fast. And within a year, I, I was making six figures and matched my corporate salary. And then things started to get more complicated. And starting subsequent businesses were a lot more challenging. So sometimes it's a confluence of events that comes together and you're able to uh, make a fast start. But most of the time, it's really a process of 
learning and getting clarity about who your clients are and what their needs are specifically to the point where you can talk to them and have meaningful conversations so that they engage with you and you can start to have really uh, the beginning of a, of a business relationship. is Would that be fair to say? Is that kind of how your business unfolded? Yeah, yeah I would say that's true. Mm. Yeah. So I, the other thing is, is that I also just dreamt big. And so I wanted to try, I wanted to do everything and I wanted to provide this product and this service and this <laughs> and, and started to understand just exactly what that was going to take and recognizing I wasn't willing to, to, you know, lose myself that deeply into the work. And, you know, the, the challenge of getting resources to support oneself, whether that be financial or um, people or other kinds of experts, that's another place where I'm always learning about how to keep, uh, keep honoring that I have a certain pace that I'm willing to go at. And because of that means that I'm going to have to let myself grieve some of the ideas that I'm not yet ready to birth. Mm. That's a, a great thing to mention because I, I think we get attached to our ideas. It's certainly been true for me. And it's it's very hard to let go of them when they're not working in the way you thought or or they may never come to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I see that a lot with the – with the startup companies that I support, I see um, how much grieving is is required because mm-hmm. they have such big ideas about what could happen and then oftentimes find that it's just not the way they thought it was going to be. Yeah. Is there something that shifted for you in the growth of your company or in the work or is, it, is there something you're seeing in with the startups you're working with that you think shifts for people or is it a gradual process most of the time? Well, one of the things that I do see is, especially with founders, and I, I saw this with myself as the founder, is in the beginning, there's a wanting to control everything. You know, this is my baby, and I have a, exactly, I know what I want, and I, um, and I realize that if this baby's going to grow, I've got to get out of the way mm-hmm. and not be so in control. And so I see that a lot with other organizations that I, that I'm with, is that the the one who has the vision or gets started has to be willing to sacrifice um, perhaps some of the ways they were holding how they wanted everything to be so that they can get the collaboration they want to be able to actually fulfill their vision. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard, it's sometimes hard to let go of the how of how you expected things to unfold and and keeping the vision. It lets you have more flexibility around that if you're able to let go of control. Yes, it's one of the biggest challenges, I think, is when founders need to exit um, away from the top leadership to let others who have more skill sets to take the company to the next level, that that's a place where that becomes particularly challenging. Yeah, for sure. Is there a... a an in- insight or some advice you'd share with another business owner who's asking themselves, how can I have impact? How can I positively make a contribution? Hmm. Well, you know, somebody gave me the great advice that um, I ought to write a book. And at first I rolled my eyes with, you know, everybody writes a book <laughs> and, um, but they they were right. We once we wrote the book, it really changed our capacity to make impact. So um, 
the book has been, we actually self-published the book mm -hmm. and we've sold, I think, uh, almost 25,000 copies now, which ah, for, a, for, for a business book is, I, I have now been told is considered to be a bestseller if a business book makes 25,000. Wow. So, and that's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of people knocking on our door now because we wrote that book, mm -hmm. because they saw it, they read it, they've heard about it. And the book is getting a lot of word of mouth. Um, promotion. And we, and you know, part of the money we took out was to promote that book and do a very good job of launching it because we knew that if we didn't really get a big launch, it wouldn't take off. Mm. Um, and so, or at least that's what we believed. Um, and so, you know, if you can find a way to get your key core message out in some way, whether it's a book or it's a videos or it's, you know, some kind of, um, using media to get your word out is so key. Well, and you, and supporting it with um, a really, it, it sounds like you put a lot of effort into the strategy of how you were going to promote it and the implementation of that. We did. And I saw, I had a colleague who had a book come out at the same time who I thought was just equally a, a very, uh, a great book is similar in lots of the content. And that book didn't, get up off the ground because they didn't put the the energy on the front end to give, give it its initial lift. Mm -hmm. And so I've really learned and appreciated how important that part is. Well, congratulations on that because 25,000 copies for a self-published book, I understand, is quite extraordinary. So uh, you must have done an amazing job on the promotion. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's one thing I'm very proud of that. I, I, I took a long time getting lots of feedback about what that's supposed to look like. And of course, no one has the recipe. I'm always like, who's sure. got the recipe? And <laughs> so we ended up creating our own recipe and it worked pretty well. So isn't that always the way? There's this myth, I think, of, <laughs> of uh, there has to be a way. There has to be like the 10 steps to whatever the goal is. And it just never works out that way. I mean, obviously, you can learn from what other people have done, but there's always that personal element, that that aspect of what are you bringing to that process that makes it unique and, and helps it really take off and connect. Oh, I think that's another one of the things that I would say was one of my obstacles was I kept believing that there are these formulas mm -hmm. out there and that if I could just get the formula, I could be successful. And I remember... Uh, meeting uh, a very successful venture capitalist who had created many businesses with great success. And I, he said, I'm willing to consult with you. And he gave me his ideas. And I remember thinking, really, those are your ideas? Because those aren't that <laughs> interesting. Like, and I was so, he, I was so I frustrated with him. And he he said, um, you know, what's going on? You seem to really care what I think. And I, I remember just falling into tears and saying, I thought you'd have like this magic bullet. And he said, I don't have it any more than you do. And that was this big wake up that, um, mm. for me that, you know, we're all just making it up. And so, uh, just, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta toddle around and trial and error and trust yourself and learn from your results. And, um, so I think I'm becoming a more mature 
business leader now as I have discovered that there is no magic bullets out there. Well, and it's a huge eye-opening moment for people. I, I know so many people that have worked with coaches, for example, who have, you know, the 10 steps or use my method and you'll you'll make, you know, six figures or seven figures or whatever. Right. And um, the reality is, as you've discovered, there there is no magic bullet. There is lots to be learned and and there's no way for you to do this without adding in your your element yourself your process your thoughts your ideas and your the uniqueness of what it is that your business brings i mean there are other leadership consultants and so your success is largely based on the uniqueness of what you offer and how you offer it so um, it's a really important realization, and I uh, and and it's a scary one because it, then it's like um, now what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now what? And you know, somebody else has already said you know the the whatever my core message is a thousand times in a thousand different ways. So why is anybody going to want to hear it from me? And yeah, exactly. So I've I've learned I'm, I appreciate everything you're saying there. I think that's. That's one of the missing pieces for a lot of people is recognizing your own unique gift is the thing. And it's, it's not some formula um, that's often going to make you the most success. Yeah. And discovering that is a big part of, of business success. And, I, and I'm and i sure for your business leader clients as well of bringing themselves really into that process too. Yeah. Yeah. And recognizing that I can't be all things to all clients. And that I, that's the other thing I think really helped me was recognizing that there is a niche you know, when I went out to all the most successful entrepreneurs who were doing consulting groups, I said, what would you tell me to do? And they all said, niche as tightly as you can. Mm -hmm. And that seemed counterintuitive to me because, you know, well, then we're going to miss out on a bunch of clients. But it was true. And the more I niche, the more successful we are. Mm. Yeah, that's a great lesson. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, and thank you for sharing the the inner workings of your business and your thoughts about it as well. I, I love what you have said about um, your decision to bring these commitments that you're also working with clients on into your own business and using those values to um, operate the business maybe slower, but staying aligned and um, to really have sustainability as, as your kind of background measure of success for your own business. So thank you so much, Diana, for sharing all of that with us today. I know it's going to be valuable for people to hear. Mm, my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. So if people would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, our website is conscious.is. Is. It's a Icelandic uh, <laughs> domain. And so conscious.is is the best place to reach us. And we, one of the things that we're really proud of is we have a large amount of resources, free resources for people to come. There are videos and meditations and all kinds of handouts and um, things to help educate people on what it means to be a more conscious leader. So that's the place to come find us. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. Well, mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you again for uh, having this conversation and uh, bringing your impact into the world. I so appreciate what you do. Mm, thank you so much. 
So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. And until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.